Jeff, it was around June that we had our first championship series to preview for the Stanley Cup and the NHL. This week, and finally, we get our World Series preview. It's a brisk October, and we got two teams that going into the playoffs, Jeff, I might have predicted those two teams to be in the World Series. It does not happen often for me, but I was able to pick from the five teams. I had a 20% chance in each league, and I and I think I nailed it, but enough about me, Jeff. How are you? Oh, not too bad. I was wondering when you were going to get to the intro and like get, let me talk on the show before you, you did your whole very not-so-humble brag. Um, but I'm good, Dave. We had a good week. Uh, we had... We had abs pens that gave us the folks in icy the icy takes world everything we could want. We had an incredible goal by Sidney Crosby. We had an incredible goal by Nathan McKinnon, which we'll get into because you have a ridiculous take on the goal that that I'm very much against. And the pens won in overtime, so we got each and every little thing that we could ever want in the uh, in the world of icy takes and in this podcast. Um, we have a world, like you said, a World Series to preview that somehow you got right. At least one of us got it right. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to kind of semi-wrap up the baseball season, right? I mean, yep. this is kind of the beginning of the end for baseball season. And yep. uh, we go into hockey for a couple months and talk about uh, and talk about maybe some baseball free agents that won't sign until spring training. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a couple contracts out there that – Maybe won't be re-signed. There's some arbitration stuff. Uh, that that's not for this week. Uh, we'll we'll get into that eventually. But you know, you pinned it right there. Let's get into it. The World Series preview game one tomorrow at 8:08 p.m. or today, whenever you decide to listen to it, or it was already yesterday because you listened to the show late. Who really knows? But I do know that it will be Garrett Cole. Starting in game one, and it also looks like it's going to be Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke for games two and three. And I see no reason why the Nationals shouldn't start Max Scherzer for game one. But, you know, Steven Strasburg has been the hottest pitcher on the team. But just for the legacy that Max Scherzer has had in his career, you would imagine he would go game one. Uh, Not sure. I have not seen anything on that, Jeff. I don't know if you have. But either way, Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg, I want to see the Strasburg-Garrett Cole matchup, so let's just imagine that for a little bit because we have two number one picks, uh, not not in back-to-back years, I believe, um, because I think Harper separated those two. It was uh, Garrett Cole 2012, I believe, and uh, Strasburg 2010. So, Jeff, this like the Nationals in Astros World Series – is hyped up, I think can be hyped up as one of the best starting pitching World Series of all time. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree 100%, and I'm willing to throw out a take on here where this is a series that you cannot afford to trail at all in. And that, whether that you mean innings, whether you mean games, whether you, you, know, you mean home field advantage, you cannot afford to trail in this series at all. You have to always be up, ready to go, and I think that's going to be what gives Houston the edge in this series is that their pitching is so good, yes, and some might say it might cancel it might cancel out a little bit with uh, Scherzer, Strasburg, 
and um, Corbin going for the Nationals. But that lineup for the for the Astros is just as dangerous, and I think that's what got them past New York was that the Yankees had a great bullpen, yes, and they had a great lineup, yes, but the starting pitching pushed them ahead, which the two things were kind of even, but then the lineup kind of – or the starting pitching got them away. In this series, I think the starting pitching is going to be very similar, and I just think that lineup for Houston is still just way too dangerous for, for the Nationals and the bullpen that the Nationals have. So Houston went with a, a triple slash of 179, 281, and 318 in the ALCS. They did not perform at all what they've done all season and still won that series against the Yankees four out of six. They won four, lost two. And most likely the lineup's going to be the same. Springer, Altuve, Brantley, Bregman. Bregman's up for the MVP. I think I picked him to be MVP at the end of the season with all the contestants in there, mainly between him and Trout. Uh, Gurriel, Alvarez, Correa, Reddick, and Chirinos. I mean, they're they're all well-rounded, and you can't really find a soft spot. With that in mind, we do have a lineup that has shown that it can be dangerous later in the game. Maybe not right away, but when they see the pitching more often, they find ways to adjust and get on base and then capitalize on the extra base hits and home runs. Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, Anthony Rendon, Juan Soto, those two back-to-back have been money all playoffs. You got Howie Kendrick, who who was the NLCS MVP and had the biggest heroic act in Game 5 of the divisional series with everything with all the faux pas and earlier that he had it was a nice way to redeem himself uh ryan zimmerman mr national at number six a drew as Drupal cabrera kurt suzuki and victor robles uh i mean you would say that the astros do have the advantage in the lineup but i don't think it's to be taken without consideration that washington can keep up in a couple of these games with the Astros with that lineup. Yeah, for, for whatever reason it may be, I just don't see how Washington starters, because you are in a seven-game series, yes, and you're not – I feel like your bullpen is going to have to be your bullpen. They're not going to be able to do what they did with the Dodger series where they they went with a starter and then came back with a starter outside of the bullpen. For, for a game, like how they did uh, Strasburg and then they brought Scherzer in in like the sixth inning. Um, I, I think that's going to be your difference in the series is it's going to come down to the bullpens. And we saw what Houston's bullpen could do against the Yankees, um, taking away the, the uh, DJ LeMahieu home run in uh, game six to keep the Yankees' hopes alive until Jose Altuve crushed them. But at uh, the end of the day, I think it comes down to bullpens. And I, that's been the downfall and the Achilles heel of the Nationals all year. So I, I, I think that's where it comes down. I think the starting pitching in the lineups, um, for the most part, cancel out. Maybe Houston has a slight edge in the lineup, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's overwhelming to the point where you're, it, it's going to be a clean runaway for Houston. But I, I, I just think the, it's going to come down to the bullpens. And I think the clutch hitting of the of the uh, Astros is what's going to get them going. The one thing that has kept Washington in it all season long and postseason 
is its resiliency in coming up with that clutch hit late in the game, whether it's the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. They find a way to come up with the with the later runs that, you know, you are down early and this is their time to really show off that if they do get down early against this team, that if they can come from behind twice against the Astros, this Washington team will probably be poised to to steal the World Series. And that's only if they come from behind uh, from the seventh inning or later and steal two wins from the Astros. That's the only way I see them coming away on top and hoisting the trophy is by showing off their resiliency with the bats. With the bullpen, they've they've done their job. They've they've had to do what they've had to do all series long. They haven't really been tested as much because the Dodgers were a huge disappointment, but not as bad as the Cardinals all series long. The Astros are similar to the to the to the Nationals, but <laughs> joke here on steroids essentially. Um, but this is why I can't just throw away Washington from winning this title is because of how they've always found a way to come from behind and just dig a little bit deeper than what they already have and spoil the moment for the other team. Yeah. And and I get that, but I just think that's a recipe for disaster for, for the nationals. I mean, you saw what happened with the Yankees. I mean, they got, they got behind in games, what was it, four and five, and it, it, they ended up getting into trouble big time with, you know, trying to ch- chase the game. And I think with the Astros, you just can't afford to because not only are you battling a great great pitching in terms of starting pitching, but you're also, you're also, battling, um, you're also battling a lineup that, that is a very good lineup from what one through six is just, an, is just murderous row, essentially. It's just one after another of of elite talent at the plate, and I, and I just think that's just a recipe for disaster if you want to start chasing chasing the game against them. So we have the Washington Nationals. I'm gonna pull up their just overall um, record, like on the road and at home, because the one thing that we didn't really see much from the Astros. Granted, it's only five games. It's usually a small sample size going into the World Series no matter what. The Astros were dominant at home all season long, 60-21. and They've had one loss there in the the postseason in their six games, and that was in game one against the Yankees when they got shut out, something that doesn't really happen too often with that team, and went 47-34 and on the road. They're two and three on the road so far. They lost both of them to Tampa Bay, which I thought was, I mean, did anyone really expect that to happen? And then you you lose game five after winning the first two against New York, which I thought was pretty much acceptable. And then the Nationals, not really as dominant, 50 and 31 at home, 43 and 38 on the road. They went 2 and 0 against the Cardinals at home, 1 and 1 against the Dodgers and got that win in the wild card against the Brewers to go 4-1, and one, if I did the math correctly. And then on the road, you went 2-1 and one against the Dodgers and 2-0 and oh against the Cardinals, 4-1 and one for that team as well. So if the Nationals steal that game like the Yankees did in Game 1 and find themselves getting two at home, 
I see a, a Washington team winning this series unless it goes to Game 7 and Garrett Cole's standing right there. So if Washington has to win this series, it has to be, I believe, it's going to happen in six games because there's no way that Garrett Cole in what will be the biggest game of his career will let that go because right now he's sporting a, I think, a point four, yeah, point four ERA this postseason, 3-0, and just strikes out everybody that's in front of him. If they if the Nationals can get get a win in like game two and maybe three and four or three and five or four and five, they can end it in game six. But the Astros will win it if it goes to a game seven. I think the only way the Nationals win the series is if it's a short series. I think okay. they they absolutely have to win at least two in Houston and then you, you I I think once they leave Houston, it can't come back to Houston. It has to be one in Washington because you know A.J. Hinch has to be thinking, I have to get Garrett Cole on that mound as much as I can. Probably a very similar situation to what um, Madison Bumgarner did against the Kansas City Royals, that they're just going to get him on the mound as much as possible because he is on that much of a level right now. And I just don't see how Washington's bats are going to be able to keep up with the, with the pitching of Garrett Cole, you have Verlander, Verlander coming right behind him, and you have a guy by the name of Zach Granke too, who's had a pretty good career as well, waiting in the wings. I just those those three guys by themselves are, can um, can probably win win this series, let alone the bullpen that they have that that did very well against the Yankees in the LCS as well. I think it's also kind of smart to not have Strasburg go up against Cole because these two have been the best pitchers in the playoffs. So if you're able to get Garrett Cole to start game one with Houston and get that win, Washington does set themselves up with a better chance of winning having Steven Strasburg go up against Verlander or Zach Greinke because they've been pitching about the same way. Um, But I think it is a, a Houston series. I think it will be short as well. Uh, you can chalk me on the board for five games. But I will say, if the Nationals find a way to be up 3-2 after five games, without Garrett Cole pitching in game six, they win that. They win the World Series. So let me ask you this. This is a hypothetical here, I know. Say, say in game six, the Yankees hold on. Aroldis Chapman's slider doesn't get crushed by Jose Altuve. And Garrett Cole has to pitch game game seven. He's not available for game one. Do you feel better about the Nationals' chances if Garrett Cole's not pitching game one? Because I do. I think yeah. the fact that Garrett Cole's pitching game one sets a tone for the for the Astros. And yeah, I'm 100% looking ahead that he's probably going to strike out 24. But I, th- I think the tone he's going to set for this series is going to put a big dagger in the hearts of of the Nationals bats, and I don't know if they're going to be able to recover from the performance he's going to put out. Let us know how incorrect we are at Icy Takes on Twitter, at I-C-E-Y Takes, all together one word, or Facebook, Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. You got anything else for this? Nope, I think I'm good. All right, what's next? All right, uh, do we want to see how we got there first? Do a little quick little review of the... uh... The uh, championship series, I know the NL is not going to take too long because it lasted about four seconds. Yeah, let's just start with that one. Okay, so the Cardinals, after 
basically kicking the Atlanta Braves out of the playoffs in one inning. Um, they struggled themselves in the National League Championship Series. They, uh, they almost got no hit in the first two games, losing 2 nothing and 3-1. to one. And then it was just a rout by the Nationals in Game 3 with an 8-1 loss in Washington. And then the Nationals uh, swept them uh, after being down 7 nothing in the, in the first inning of Game 4, which I loved every minute of that. Wasn't that, that just that, poetic justice for it, you? Well, the it was. It, that whole series was poetic justice because during Game 5 of the Division Series, the Cardinals were doing Cardinal things. It's not like they were hitting 500-foot bombs. Like, they were, just, they were just singling the Braves to death. And for that, and everybody was like, oh, here come the Cardinals. They're, they're a contender. And for the, for the Nationals to just take the bat and shove it up their rectum, it, it, was, it was just great. It was poetic justice for Atlanta Braves fans. And, um, and, yeah, we were kind of rooting for a division rival there. But I'm a firm believer you don't root for the team that knocked you out of the playoffs. So um, it, it was. It felt very good to see them not only get swept, but in the manner that they got swept, that it, it never felt like a game was even close. Made it that much better. So, um, um, yeah, like I think that it might be a bit of an overreaction to the Cardinals were never a contender because they they got their wins when they had to. They were in fourth place going into the All Star game and hit that on switch when it came to just raking in runs at one point, just putting up absurd numbers at the plate. Paul Goldschmidt found his swing. Marcelo Zuna, for the most part, was a was an awesome player. For he ran he ran into an injury this year, right? Didn't he have like a an arm situation or something? That I'm not sure about. Um, you might have to find info on that, or I can later. Um, and let's not forget Yachty. Had some clutch hits at the late stretch of September in that Wrigley series on Saturday when he uh, tied it up against Kimbrell. And then next pitch, uh, DeJong uh, went deep to take the lead in the top of the ninth on back-to-back pitches. And Yachty in games, what was it, three and four against, or, or four and five, eh, just mainly game four against the Braves. I mean, they, they were coming up with clutch hitting. They were doing the right spots at the right time. It just all fell apart all at once in the championship series. And it happens to teams. It really does. Um, they might be a, a product of their own division because, you know, the NL Central kind of sucks. But, you know, they, they got there for a reason. They won the division on the last day with a clutch performance by Jack Flaherty and just kind of faltered there at the end. Yeah, and when you when you said that they're in fourth place, I think that's a little overlooked too because – Remember how clustered the the National League Central was at the All Star break? I mean, the Pirates were what in second place, game and a half out. Yeah, I mean, I think think everybody was separated by like two and a half games, right? Yeah, two and a half, three and a half. So yeah, so I mean, um, like they were they were very much still in the race. It's not like they made this miraculous comeback to win the National League Central, but um, but yeah, I, I I think. I think what the Cardinals have building there after the couple of years that they didn't make the playoffs, what they have building there is is a very good lineup. I think you could add one or two, and it probably wouldn't hurt for them to add, to add an arm, I, I think. I think that's, that's the biggest thing for them is getting somebody to, to go after Jack Flaherty. Because, because honestly, even in the, in the division series, 
every analyst was saying the Braves have to win it, win it in four, win it in three, whatever you have to do, make it a short series because you don't want to see Jack Flaherty twice. And when you get into those seven game series, and you know that series might have been able to go longer had had the uh, Cardinals bats have shown up, but. I mean, after Jack Flaherty, you're really not too scared of anybody else. I mean, Adam Wainwright, yeah, he pitched well in the division series, but I mean, I don't think he w- he was really scaring anybody. He had he had to pitch the game of his life to d- do as well as he did against the Braves. So um, I think that they'd be due for an arm and maybe add maybe a supportive bat somewhere. But um, I do like what the Cardinals have going on in terms of their. Um, their organizational organization in the um, in the near future. I wouldn't say that was Wainwright's game of his life because he's done that. Oh, before. I would, I would. Oh my God, he he's was done that point. before. He's done that before. I'm at just saying that's, that age, that's vintage, at, Adam Wainwright. He's done it before. At that age, though, and I mean, yeah, he pitched well this year, but I mean, with that lineup too. I mean, come on, man. Like the Atlanta Braves lineup. I mean, the top five come up swinging and if if they run into anything they're they're crushing the ball and I mean he was dotting curveballs that you know maybe the umpire was expanding the zone a little bit neither here nor there but um I mean I I thought he pitched arguably the game of his life I thought well and that's not a biased opinion in any way I'm trying to give Ab Wainwright all the credit in the world because he pitched fantastic and whatever chemistry him and Yachty Molina have it is a beautiful thing to watch Oh yeah, it's like kind of like a John Lester and David Ross type of thing. Yeah, so. if you want to talk about the Red Sox, which they didn't make the playoffs with the massive payroll they have, but go ahead. Which, it's, no, it's hilarious to me. But uh, yeah, Nationals took advantage of a, a team that kind of fell apart. So um, I could say that was more or less the Nationals just showing off their their starting pitching than the Cardinals lineup falling apart because. I mean, you kind of saw a performance from Scherzer where, you know, he went six-plus uh, no-hit. But we didn't really expect that from Anibal Sanchez, especially in game one to set the tone. And I, th- I think game one was a complete series switch. And I said this to one of my buddies. We, it was one of the guys that I, I coach hockey with. We were driving to the rink one day. And um, – I I go. I think I think the Cardinals are in trouble. To almost get no hit against Anibal Sanchez is a really tough look. And his response back to me was, "Act like you've watched playoff baseball before." And I looked at him and I go, "Buddy, you're going against Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, one through for games two through four. You can't tell me that the Cardinals are going to be anywhere close to matching that pitching matchup in any way." And I don't think there's anybody in baseball that would say that it could be matched until you got has, to game five. Has that, has that buddy talked to you since? Yeah, he won't give me credit for it. He's, he, he, he's an avid listener of the podcast, too, so I know he's going to rip me for ripping him about this. Oh, yeah, that's fine. That's what we need. We need controversy. That, absolutely. He can, send, send, uh, he can send hate comments, too, on uh, the Facebook. Yeah, so, all right, so... We did the NLCS uh, review. Let's go to the ALCS, which was a little bit more competitive, especially after game one, because uh, Tanaka did very well for the Yankees in the first game to set themselves up with that one nothing lead in the series, which, you know, that kind of has some people thinking, could the Yankees make this run? And 
not that it was the total fault, but Aaron Boone either didn't trust his starting pitching or he had too much trust in his bullpen to go and dominate the to try to dominate the Houston bats and it backfired on him. Uh, I wouldn't say that, that though. I mean, look at game two. The the walk off home run by Correa was hit off J.A. Happ. So I mean the the bullpen 100% gave the Yankees the opportunity to win game two. And if I if they win game two, I think this series is completely different. Granted, I had had a little bit of money on a wager for for that game. Carlos Correa made me a little bit more poor, but. Um, but, I mean, if you look up and down on the series, though, it came down to just a couple home runs where um, maybe some pitches got too far over the plate. Uh, the J.A. Happ one, I mean, there are some people that might have said that Fox didn't get back quick enough, and they came back from break, and it was a home run game was over. Um, but, I mean, you had that. The the Look at the series winning home run um, on Saturday. We I was talking with one of my buddies. We were watching the game. And you could tell what Chapman was doing. He was trying to get ahead with his slider, and he never really got ahead. And then it looked like he went to that pitch one too many times, and Altuve was kind of ready for it. I mean, he crushed it. But, you know, I thought Chapman even pitched well on that one because if he gets to 2-2, two and two, you know 101 was coming on that next pitch. And he just unfortunately never got there. And he, he they showed him after that pitch, and he, he kind of had – all he had to do was like smile because he couldn't believe that that he, that pitch got turned around so quick. So I think it honestly just came down to one or two home runs. I know that's incredibly basic uh, and analytics there, but um, you know I, I I think this series, yes, it was it was over in six, and you know that that three game stretch by the Astros in New York seems a little um, or the the Games two, three, and four seem like they're a bad look for the Yankees, but I I think this series was a lot closer than what people may want to give the Yankees credit for. With that said, with you know the right the right home run at the right time, just the the Astros maybe capitalizing on what was just thrown at them, that could just be also overexposure and not having the same type of bite that you are used to having going out there as a bullpen pitcher because. These guys that come out of the bullpen are are really they're expected to be perfect. Like there is they need to be able to go out there, go one, two, three, and set up and set up the bats for their next team. Overexposure to a lineup like that can bite them in the ass. And you know, sometimes you just have that one pitch that will go over, and that's what you're trying to prevent as a bullpen pitcher is to not give up that that one pitch, that one uh like the slider by Chapman, which I think that was back-to-back sliders, which was... Yeah, he... Well, the, the thing I think that hurt him, too, was that's how he pitched um, Springer. He pitched Springer the same way, was that he was slider, slider, and then he started... Once he got ahead, he started going fastball, and I think that's what Altuve was picking up on deck, and that's that. that's why Altuve was more ready for it. Right, and... You know, clutch hitting by Jose Altuve, I think, more than um, Chapman maybe laying one up because you still have to drive that ball, and it went for a ride. Well, yeah, like I said, I I, I think in Araldis Chapman's mind, he, I think he had the game plan he wanted, and I honestly, that the pitch wasn't bad. 
I think maybe another maybe another inch in, and he's sawing him off, and that's possibly a broken bat. In all, in all honesty, mm-hmm. and and you know, it, again, I think, like you said, I think it may have been maybe some overexposure of that slider that Altuve was able to get in front of it and time it properly. And I mean, he sent it to Dallas pretty much, but um, yeah, that was I, I, I if. If I'm Aaron Boone, I to go back to your original question, I think Aaron Boone went down with his biggest strength, and that was the Yankee bullpen. And as a Yankee fan, you have to think, okay, we went down with our biggest strength, and you have to be okay with that at the end of the day. I mean, I would say that their biggest strength was home run hitting. And they I would disagree with you with you a hundred percent on that. I mean, 306 home runs in a single season, the second most because the Twins had 307 this year. I mean, Buddy, they had 14 that, players. They had 14 players with double-digit home runs. That bullpen was given given the Yankees the opportunity to make games a five-inning game. And if you were trailing after five, forget it. And look what happened in two of those games. All or right. the tie ball game, at least. You want to look at that? They went, they went what, uh, two runs in game two, one run in game three, three runs in game four. So what are we talking about here? We need zeros up there as a bullpen. For as and much I think as they're getting used, though? I mean, they may as well, well have been a starting rotation coming And out. that's what I'm trying to get at. I think Aaron Boone had him out there too long to try to get those zeros. That but that's their biggest pick. strength. That's their biggest strength, though. That's no different than... When Bruce Bochy was bringing out Madison Baumgartner, you know, how many times in the World Series in 2014? Yeah, but you is, he, you, is he a bullpen pitcher? No, no, but but again, he went down swinging with it with his best uh, with his best strength. Like it, that year it was Madison Baumgartner for the Yankees. It was their bullpen. Their bullpen was the best bullpen in baseball. You can't blame a guy for going down swinging with his best strength. All right, yeah. We'll just go with that. So that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know this is going to end up being an agree to disagree, but yeah, you know, at the at the end of the day, you know, you and I both know that bullpen bullpens is what matters in, in oh, yeah, uh, no, playoff baseball. And when is. you have when you have a bullpen that starts with Zach Britton and ends with the Raldis Chapman, I mean, buddy, that's that's a hell of a of a card you have in your back pocket. 300-plus home runs. That's all I got to say. So, anyway, um, can we talk about one thing in this series that wasn't really brought up too much, but I still kind of have a problem with, is that with Houston was, I guess, reviewed uh, internally, not internally investigated, or externally investigated by the MLB about possibly stealing signs in game one and their 7 to nothing loss. Um Jeff, I have a problem with the MLB freaking out about stealing signs if one team is stealing it from another team. Um, I don't think the MLB are giving teams already pre-made signs that you have to use all season long and nobody else can find out that information. Why is it a big deal if a team is caught, let's use the finger quotes here, caught stealing signs? Yeah, this is. I, I think this might have been just something that it's. It was just something to talk about more or less because, like you said, I think every every team does it. And before we came on 
and started recording, we we kind of used the comparison. Like, remember when Peyton Manning was yelling all his stuff at the line when he was playing, and every Omaha. scouting, yeah, every every scouting report said, "Don't listen to what he says." You know, just you you have to stay confident in your call because a lot of the times that stuff means absolutely nothing. So, you know, yeah, you can steal signs all you want, but you know, unless you have concrete visual evidence of that's what that sign means, it doesn't mean jack. So I think this is very much just a media-driven thing to try and try and uh, you know get some more talking points during a, a championship series where you know coaches and players kind of keep it tight sealed a little bit. So um, I think it's like I said, I think it's just ridiculous. And um, you know, let's just play baseball here. What are we doing? You know, I stole a sign before in a high school game. No, what'd you do? No, so it was a junior year playing baseball on the road in Hollidaysburg. And no, because I wasn't good enough to be on the field, I I had to make some time in the dugout when when the team's not on the field. So just kind of watching the coach on the other end uh, send in his signs before each pitch. And after about two innings of watching, I made the the somewhat like stab in the dark conclusion that a certain move that this coach did would indicate a, a fastball on the first move. Like whatever he did on the first move and everything else after that would be a fastball. And I told my coach about this and it had to wait until the last inning, whenever we're down two runs that he told the team, Hey, if he does this, it's going to be a fastball. So I'm going to like say something or motion something really quickly to you. And we still ended up losing the game. He didn't take my information for another six innings, and he wasted it. But I just wanted to say another good thing about myself and my life. It doesn't happen <laughs> too much. So is that not, though, like, what? so what's the difference between stealing signs and tipping pitches? Because if you're well, tipping, it, if, you're, if, if you're essentially, again, air quotes, radio gag, but if you're, if you're quote-unquote tipping signs, you know what? What are we doing here? You're you're you don't want the other team to take advantage of that because you damn well know the team that's again quote unquote tipping signs. If the if the rules are reversed, you're jumping all over it. You have a tip here that gives you an advantage. At the end of the day, don't tip your signs or tip your pitches. If a pitcher tips his pitches, you know all of a sudden he's getting sent down to AAA to work on his motion. So he you know he's not. Uh, not tipping his pitches and he doesn't suck and give up six runs. So, you know, I, I just don't know what we're doing here. Why, why, why is this like a big deal that, you know, Oh, we, we were showing off our signs and now they're mad because somebody else is stealing their sign. Yeah. Like that it's, it's a perfect point. And you know, the Astros were able to catch on to glass now tipping his pitches and you could kind of see the difference just with like, with a uh, side by side photos of how he was, uh, holding his glove and and the ball with a fastball and how he was holding it with a curveball, it it was it was a big difference. When you're not in the same place every time, people are watching everything about you. So the fact that the Astros aren't really you no know, punished or looked down upon for you know getting ahead on the on the tip pitches from Glasnow, but had to have an external investigation for stealing signs from the other team in Game One in a loss. It's just bogus, all of it. Bogus. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you 100% more. All right, let's try to end on a happy note. Jeff, what did you love about 
your Atlanta Braves this season? Like the one thing that you could just re- reminisce about? I think the one thing I'll reminisce most about this year with the Atlanta Braves is probably the month of July because they were just a wrecking crew, just killing the ball. We're scoring a ton of runs and we're winning games. It was it was a honestly a hell of a run they had through July. It was like I think middle June going through July. It was pretty incredible. Then the All Star break hit, and um, I would say that was probably the thing that I remember most. Oh Jesus! Um, <laughs> and then the thing that I'll remember most about this year as far as across all of MLB is Aaron Boone's rant calling his batters effing savages in the box yep. and Brett Gardner destroying dugout roofs across major league baseball. So <laughs> those, those are my two things I'll remember from the 2019 baseball season. Um, like we said, this is kind of the beginning of the end for our baseball coverage till, till spring training. So what about think- you? You well, you got you got a whole hell of a lot of stuff to talk about with your Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't want to do all that. I want to try to end on a positive note. And if there is anything positive about this season, it's really how the season started essentially because that was one of the best 18 20 game stretches um that the Pirates saw with their starting pitching. It was just Dominance by the starting crew, whether they went six innings or seven innings, and you just saw zeros and like in the lowest ERA um, in baseball, even with that uh, atrocious bullpen. So they were able to get off to a, a off to a decent start, and after that, nothing. Like there are even some walk offs that I just I didn't really bring me huge elation because of all the missed opportunities they had this season. So I just got to give it to starting pitching at the beginning of the year because there was absolutely none at the end of the year. All right. Oh, what about Brian Reynolds? Brian Reynolds. I was going to say, how do you leave out Brian Reynolds? He was like the talk of the town between, you know, June and June through July, pretty much. He was talk of the town. He was going to win rookie of the year and he kind of fizzled off at the end. But um, I mean, that guy's a treat to watch. I mean, and Josh Bell, but I mean, both of them fell apart at the same time at the end of the season. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, like you just you just got me going all sorts of ways here with the Pirates. So, uh, uh, what what about throughout all of baseball? I would say just because of how goofy it was. Um, if you don't already follow it, oh my god, a little uh, shout out, uh, Cut Four on Twitter. Uh, they just they take all the all the hilarity of baseball and put it into one Twitter account. And um, Mike fires G beard that he had uh, shaved on him. Uh, so he like <laughs> shaved his head completely and turned his beard into a G. It was just like the letter G on his face. If you, if you look it up, if you want to look it up, uh, you can just search like Mike fires G beard. And it was, incredible um because you kind of sold the show with uh, aaron boone and brent gardner so i i kind of had to do a little digger deeping or yeah digging deeper there <laughs> or uh any anything else but uh just i would say just how goofy 
that was that had me cracking up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know I'm probably missing a lot of other stuff here, but so um, I got I got one to save you for. I got one to save you for, and I don't know if you saw this. Do you follow anything that goes on at Barstool Sports at all? And not I know really. we're we're not really we're, my cup of tea. Okay, all right. So I know I know this is promoting another podcast, and we probably shouldn't do this or whatever. But this yeah. was just too fine to pass on. So over Barstool, they're obviously headquartered over in uh, in New York City. So they have a lot of Yankee fans that um, that do a live stream in what they call their betting cave, where they literally get like all these fa- all these fans that are their that are their employees, and they do a live stream of the game. So they so they watch Game Two of the Yankees Astros series, and they. They, you know, game goes to like what one thirty in the morning or whatever it was. It went real late in the night. Well, they didn't clean up after themselves after game two, right? So, you know, obviously the owner Dave Portnoy, everybody knows who he is, um, gets wind of this, and he is furious. Their CEO's furious. Their CFO's furious. So they come up with a punishment for these guys. So they get ready to do the. This, the live stream for game three, okay? But they do a punishment where they're not allowed to listen to audio of the game. They can't watch the game. The only way that they're getting any information from the game is that they got one of their female contributors who has no no idea of anything baseball or how to describe it or anything. And Dave, I'll I'll, I'll send you over the video later today. It is the funniest thing you'll ever see because there's these guys that are just hanging on every inch of information. Like there was a point in the game that they were they were cheering for commercials because that just meant Severino got out of an inning. Like it, <laughs> it, it, it it's hilarious and it got me thinking. Like how simplified could you listen to a sport? Like could you, like when I send you this video, I, I kind of want you to respond with like. Could you survive, like, a say, put yourself in the position of the 2013 wildcard game? Could you survive getting information like that? Or would you say, like, this is stupid, I got to go? Because, like, Dave, I'm not kidding you. Like, some of the information, like, there was a three and two count, and she'd be like, here's the pitch, and nothing happened. It's a three-two pitch. Like, something had to have happened. How do you not like, 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 like these guys are freaking out because again, your your team's in the championship series, and they're getting the bare bare minimum of the information. So, um, that was that was a honorable mention for me because I watched that video probably ten times and it still holds up. It's hilarious. So, um, those are probably my three big ones for for memories of the year. Hard to believe that the Yankees are getting like the best moments of the seasons or 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 are in tied together to the best moments of the season in baseball. Right, right. That's for sure. That's for sure. So are we done with baseball? I think so. Uh, Astros win the series. I think I already said that. So I just wanted to clarify. You you said in five, right? Yeah. I'm going to go clean sleep with the Astros. I just think the the lineup's going to outmatch the Washington lineup, and I think Garrett Cole's just going to be pitching every chance that he gets. All right, let's switch it on over, Jeff. What do we got? All right, let's go to hockey. Um, we had some news we're going to talk about first um, before we do the Penguin review and everything like that. Um, so Jason Zucker made some headlines 
um, over the weekend. Pretty much um, not what he wanted to do, but he pretty much called out his head coach, uh, Bruce Boudreaux, after they had a uh, 4 nothing loss in Montreal um, on Thursday night. Pretty much came out and said that, you know, we had a team meeting. We've determined that everybody in the organization needs to be better. From Bruce Boudreaux down, Bruce has to be better. We have to be better. And that's how we're going to turn it around. Well, you know, everybody in the media kind of catches wind of this. And everybody's thinking, you know, you know, oh, my God, Jason Zucker calls out calls out head coach. What's going on here? So, um, you know, it's a tough time in Minnesota because they – I, I feel like everybody that surrounds that team knows that ne- that team needs rebuilt. And the one person that won't allow it to happen is the owner of the hockey team. So um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Dave, what do you think of this? Do you think it's a big deal or do you think it's more of, you know, they had an honest talk within the team and having an early team meeting and it's kind of, you look at it on paper and it, it looks really bad, but if you get the context of it, it's not too, too bad. I would say that it can start to be, it could start a, not really a movement, but it can show off how into maybe the, the players are and how they approach each season thinking that, you know, look at the core around us. We definitely have enough to win and, or not that. Look at the core around us. There could be some moves that could be that could be better. Um, there are some some maybe holes here and there that can be addressed, but have never been addressed. And when you are down this far deep, maybe things are said that should not have been said. But at the same time, it it captures everyone within the organization that's in the player development and personnel and everything like that. And makes them look twice at what they're what they're doing whether they're actually going to act upon it or not we'll see because this could be like the the same old you know we've had a, we had our meeting we're we're saying this and that and it's just going to be the end of that because I don't think the Minnesota Wild are that good of a team to begin with and if Jason Zucker is going to think believe that if he's calling out everyone in the organization even himself um, then let's see what happens afterward. Let's see if they go out there and get that next win and maybe ride it. But I don't think anything anything from this is going to change how the Wild will play and how they are perceived by the NHL, which is not good. Yeah, I I think it's it's more of a... Like we said, it's more of a... We had a team meeting. We realized... We as an organization need to be better. And, you know, maybe the way that Bruce Boudreaux is coaching right now, maybe he's not seeing something and the players are. And, you know, maybe they just need to, to come together as, as a whole, not only just doing closed-door players' meetings, but as a staff, as the GM, as the coach. Everybody comes together and says, you know, hey, we all need to be better. Did, did he make the right move by, you know, pointing out just – Bruce Boudreaux because it seems like he said just Bruce Boudreaux and then he said the team as a whole so I think that's why it came out as kind of like a oh, buddy like you kind of called out your boss there a little bit um, but I think you know 
I think he meant well. It was just worded not in the best way, and it, you know it got overblown a little bit. But in terms of everything, I think this will eventually just blow over. I'm sure him and Bruce Boudreaux have had a conversation about it, and um, they actually ended up getting a win last night. Um, and uh, so they got the. I believe that was their first win of the year too. So. Um, it seems like things are starting to trend upwards a little bit for the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, that that one win. I think that was their their second win. I think they're two and six now. Um, okay. After that, after that last win. But to go back to the comment, he does mention his his boss's name, but I also can think that that can spark something to where he also brought it back to himself. He said Bruce needs to be better. We need to. We've got to be better. Everyone's got to be better. That's it. So, and before that, he says, "Was it's going to be each individual guy from Bruce on down?" And then brings it up again. Bruce has got to be better. We have to be better. Everyone's got to be better. So, just because he brought up Bruce's name is why I think people are freaking out. I don't think this really, like I said, I don't think this does much because you can't just fix not being good unless you know something drastic changes right right so the i think this is kind of being taken a lot for nothing i mean bill garen just got there as gm there's a lot of changing that will happen in minnesota but for now let's just let's just not even worry about how the wild perform this year because it's just not going to be a good season for them right right and and at the end of the day too i like you said, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I think event, I think the trade deadline is going to be very telling for this organization. What older players are going to be able to move on from, and hopefully get more and more young talent in there, and hopefully, uh, hopefully get some good hockey back up, back up in the state of hockey. So continuing with, uh, with the teams that have been struggling out of the gate, the Dallas Stars opening up two seven and one. Um, Dave, what's going on down in Dallas? Because it just seems to me, and I don't know if they can't handle with the amount of big names that they have in that room right now, but it seems like this team is way too good to be doing this poorly out of the gate. Yeah, this is... I don't think anyone expected this from the Dallas Stars. There's been complete overreaction in Dallas where people are saying there needs to be a rebuild where you just sign Pavelski and Corey Perry. I mean, Perry's on a one-year deal, but Pavelski to a multi-year deal, along with Sagan and Ben like and Ben Bishop, you do not do not want to rebuild what you already have there. Um, I just think it's just a, a little bit of you know um, a little bit of maybe not being able to just tie up all the pieces at once. I mean. If one thing's on, then the next thing's off. I mean, they're, so they start off two seven and one. Um, they just got a win against the Flyers on the road four to one. But before that, losing to the Pens four to two, the Blue Jackets three to two, got shut out by the Sabers four nothing, four one to the Capitals, three um, two to the Flames. So there's they're not really in games as much. They and they they started off losing. Uh, uh, what is it here? Two back-to-back or back-to-back one-goal losses or three in a row. Bruins two to one, Blues three to two, Red Wings four to three. They're just not getting. They're not capturing the moment 
of what they have there with Sagan and Ben and Pavelski. They're all getting the clutch goal scoring. And you know, Ben Bishop had a tremendous year last year, and it's hard to replicate that. And what, only three goals a game on average? But they're only averaging two with names like that. Once the offense starts clicking, you should be able to see Dallas start to rise in that division. And I think it's just a matter of time, maybe after the first month, like you get out of October and you start finding that little click in your step of getting like the, you know, three on two breakaways and capturing uh, and getting the goals on those. So it's just lack of offense right now. Yeah. So the, the one thing that if I'm a Dallas stars fan that I'm very encouraged about is that, Unless you're the Colorado Avalanche, nobody else is really like in the hunt with them right now as far as running away with the division. Obviously, with the 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 Avs with a seven zero and one start, um, the team behind them, the Winnipeg Jets, are at five and five. So I mean, they very you know you get on a little bit of a run, you're right back in the race. But if you're them, you're very concerned that you know we got to turn this around quicker. The uh, the the wheels could fall off very very quickly, especially in that division. You could be in in a position with Minnesota by the time Christmas comes. So, um, if I'm them, you know, yeah, you got your one in Philadelphia, good. But now you got you got to make them go a little bit longer. Now you got to um, you, you got to get on a streak here of some kind. And I mean, right now, I mean, you got you got Ottawa tonight being Monday night. You have Anaheim on Thursday, you got Pittsburgh on Saturday, and you got Minnesota to end the month of October next Tuesday. So if you can get, what do we say here? What, three out of those four? You know, all yeah, they're not going to beat the Pens, right? Yeah, bias. Yeah, no one's beating the Pens. They're going, <laughs> they're go- they've got what, three losses on the year? So yeah, they're going to, they're going to go 79 and know the rest of the year. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, you know, you get a win against Ottawa, Minnesota, and Anaheim. I mean, I think every Stars fan will sign off on that. And then next thing you know, you're back in the race. So, um, I think that's their big thing. You have to get going here by the end of the month. And if not, I, you know, by Thanksgiving time, you could be in a real heap of trouble. So, um, so I, I mean, do we think any, anything different here? Uh, Dallas will find itself in the playoff race. And I think uh, at least in the playoffs, I'm just going to go with that. This is just a, a poor start. And this is the most surprising team to, to have this poor start. I mean, you have, you have the Santa Sharks down in the bottom of their division as well. No one seems to be talking about it as much. They've had two less games played and the Pacific is oddly good right now. Um, but I mean, Dallas is just, found themselves in um, a, a deep hole that people weren't really expecting. So give it time. Like you said, around Thanksgiving, we'll probably see this team in the top four in its division. So I'm tired of talking about terrible hockey teams. Can we talk about good hockey teams now? Well, I was going to say, if you wanted to, we could do just of the four teams in the bottom. We have the Wild, we have the Kings, we have the Senators, and we have the Rangers. Which one of those four teams could you predict, or not predict, could you think might be in the playoffs at the end of the year? 
So that's one team from each division, right? So you yeah. said you said the Wild, the Kings, the Senators, and the Rangers. Correct. I'm gonna say, oh Jesus! It doesn't mean that they, they will. That they will, but if I had to bet on a team, if I had to bet on a team, I'd probably say the New York Rangers because they have the goaltending in Lundqvist, and they still got some some players there that can make a difference. I think they're more in a, in a stage where they're trying to um, figure out what kind of team they want to be. Um, but like we like we said in our season previews, though, that um, you know. Yeah, they're I, they're very top heavy team. So yeah, they got talent up top, but it falls off a cliff pretty quickly. So in in terms of the those four teams, I would say the Rangers would be the one to maybe get a wild card spot. But I mean, even that's a stretch for me to even say something like that. Yeah, I mean, I would just to just to kind of be a little bit different. I think I would go with the Kings because I think the Pacific Division is just. For for some reason, I think it's really good right now, and it confuses me. But I don't think all of that will be able to maintain over the entirety of a season. Um, I know you like you like Vancouver, um, and I think it's surprising to see Anaheim in the position where they are at right now at six and three in their first nine. Um, but I think if I were to pick one of these four, and it doesn't doesn't mean it will happen. I would pick the Kings just because of the uncertainty for how the Pacific Division will play out for the rest of the season. I would agree with that. I think the only certain certain team that is going to make the playoffs in in that whole division is Vegas. Everybody else could absolutely finish two through three in that division. Yes, yes. But uh, all right, yeah, we're done with bad hockey now. Okay, let's talk about good hockey. Uh, the following teams are leading their division right now. The Colorado Avalanche. How are you? You know, adopted team, doing well. Um, 7-0-1, they haven't lost a game in regulation. They, they lost on a really bizarre-ass uh, overtime goal last week. We'll get into that later. The Edmonton Oilers are shockingly 7-1-1. and um, The Buffalo Sabres, again, shockingly 7-1-1. and And the Washington Capitals are 6-2-2. and Dave, um, let's start with the Washington Capitals. We'll just go right from the east all the way out west. Uh, contender or pretender? Um, obviously contender. I mean, this. I don't think you can even argue pretender with this team because they've won the division how many times in a row? Um, they're getting off to the right start like they normally do. Two overtime losses, two regulation losses, uh, six wins in their 10 games played. The Penguins can tie it up in their next game um, Tuesday. But uh, or if you're listening to it tonight, um, but they've given up a lot of goals, um, 31 goals. Uh, I mean, the difference between the Capitals and the Dallas Stars is 15 goals on offense difference to be six two and two rather than two seven and one. So obviously, the Capitals are a contender. How about the start that John Carlson has had? by the way, for the Capitals. Most points by a defenseman through a team's first 10 games. He has 18 points in 10 games. Yeah, For, for a defenseman, that, that only puts him behind Paul Coffey in 88-89, who had 20 points, which, do the math, that's two, a two-point-a-game clip. So how about that for math? Um, how about that? But that, that, that puts him in the same conversation with Bob, Bobby Orr twice in 69-70, uh, 73-74, and then with Paul Coffey 
as well at 88-89 with 20 points in the first uh, 10 games of a season. So, um, you know, he he's kind of stapled himself as one of the one of the top offensive defensemen in the league. So um, maybe a guy that's kind of overlooked a little bit too. And he's an American too, which you got to love that, that an American <laughs> defenseman's doing that well. And fun fact about John Carlson too, he won a world junior gold medal for the United States in Saskatchewan, which is one of the best, best moments in USA hockey history. So um, yeah, he plays for the capitals, but we got a lot of love for John Carlson on the icy takes podcast. So potential um, North trophy winner at that rate, obviously, ooh, but are you gonna he's go, not gonna, are, is that, is that an icy take? Yeah. I mean, how, how can you not in, consider him potential at this rate? I, here's my thing with the Norse trophy. I think the media has that selected by training camp and until the, no. until, until the, the incumbent proves that proves the media wrong, or there's somebody that just comes out of left field, like Mark Giordano, I think I think they 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 have that thing picked in in uh, training camp. Who ha- who has it? Who is it then? Um, give me, let me do some research because I haven't I, just... I I haven't seen enough on on the on the internet yet or what the who the media's uh, doll is right now. But like in past years, like they they went on a big run for like Drew Doughty. Eric Carlson went on a bit on a big run that. You know, he was the the uh, the love child. Brett Burns was another. Um, so I let me do some research, and I'll 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 let the folks know uh, next week. All right. So the how about the next team? We'll just go with the Buffalo Sabers, then if we're yes. going to the seven one and one to start off the year. I believe at one point that they were five and zero or four and zero before uh, having their first loss, but uh, two game winning streak now. They've has scored 34 goals and only have allowed 21. So, Jeff, I hope you've had enough time to do research or at least listen to me enough to answer this question of the Buffalo Sabres are a contender or a pretender. I think they'll be... <clears throat> Boy, this division's so tough because I, I feel like Tampa Bay can pop off any minute, right? Like yep. that's the one team. I think that's the one team that throws a whole wrench into this question. And I'm going to say they're a pretender. And I think they just missed the playoffs. Oh, I, just, I just don't, I just don't know how much that goaltending is going to, going to stand up. And Did, it, it, it's Robin Leonard or am I thinking of another team? No, Robin Leonard is in Chicago right now. I'm, I can't think of the name right now. Um, uh, we'll, we'll look it up. Give me a minute here, but I, I I just think too is that they got a very young back end. Yeah, you got Ross Mustalian, you got Jake McCabe there as well, but I, I I think there's still like one more piece away on that back end just to solidify it that you can get away with the goaltending that they currently have right now. So, um, I I Carter I Hutton. That, Carter Hutton. I. I I wanted to say Carter Hutton, but I knew if I said Carter, I know Hart was going to follow that, and I was going to sound like <laughs> an idiot. So, um, yeah, I, I just think Carter Hutton is just a – he's not quite there. And with the the back end that they have, I think they're just – they're one year away. They're one year away, and, I, and I'm, I'm just ready for Tampa to pop off and be, be, a, um, be at the top of that division again. I can see Buffalo making the playoffs this year just because of – 
how they're performing right now. And it, it's going to take a lot for Buffalo to Buffalo this to miss out on the playoffs because, yes, Tampa Bay will pop off. Boston and Toronto will basically be where they're at by the end of the year with where they're at now. But I don't see the Canadians making um, a ton of noise to over to pass up the Sabres. I don't see the Panthers doing that. Don't see the Red Wings. And I definitely do not see the Senators doing anything this year. I hope they somehow get single-digit points because I think that would be hilarious. Um, but I just think Buffalo's in a really good spot to show that, you know, they are maybe getting their bearings right on defense. Jack Eichel has a supporting cast now with, a, you know, Skinner and, you know, former Stanley Cup champ Connor Sherry. Um, so uh, the Sabres kind of have a little bit of life, and I think that they are a contender. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Moving on. Next team, we got the uh, Edmonton Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers are leading the Pacific Division, which I don't. If anybody tells you that they thought this was going to happen, they're freaking nuts. And the one thing that has been carrying them so far right now is their power play. And with that power play, it's also been James Neal, who has been carrying them very much. So I believe nine, he has nine goals, seven of them are on the power play. Um, Connor McDavid doing Connor McDavid things. He's got 17 points on the year. Uh, Mike Smith is giving up under two goals a game. Um, I don't know how long this lasts. I'm going to say they're a pretender just because I think, I think I read that their power play is clicking at like a 47% right now, which is like absurd figure league average is around 24 ish, you know, a little less than 24%. So I'm going to say this is a pretender. I think, um, like we said, the Pacific Division is kind of like a coin flip. Um, and I think a lot of the younger teams are going to gonna take over. I think Calgary is going to get going again. Um, so I'm going to say they're a pretender. It's hard to not pick them as a, as a contender. But I like everything that you presented for Edmonton because – of the, the absolute nonsense that is going on with their offense right now, because without the power play, they're doing, they're not, they're not doing anything essentially without that power play. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me and I don't know who would be so, able to supply this with me, but I, I, I got, I got some numbers for you. I got, you got some five, on, you got five, five numbers for me. I got, so I got power play numbers. And I got shots allowed per game. Okay. So their power play is clicking at a 38.5%. That is absurd. Boston's at 37, and then there's a drop-off all the way down the Islanders at 33. Okay. PK percentage, they're at 90.3%, which puts them top top five. They're, they're fourth behind Vancouver, San Jose, and uh, Vegas. Shots allowed a game. They're giving up 30. Hold on. I just had it right here. Uh, 31.1 shots a game. So, I mean, they're still allowing 30 shots per game, which, you know, you got to tighten that up a little bit. Start trying to get that between closer to, you know, between 25 and 30. When you're, when you're getting north of 30, you're, you're getting a little, little risky there. So, um, I, I just don't see how that power play can sustain, you know, the, the percentage that they're running at right now. So, um, 
But Vic, continue. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. It's fine. But I would say just because of what they are doing, I mean, you presented a really good argument for them, and I'm, I just wanted to disagree with you just to disagree with you, but I can't really do that here just for that because they're not going to sustain that that click. But the only reason I do want to say that they are a contender is because of look at the rest of the division. You have the Flames and the Golden Knights that should pass them up. Other than that, they can be the third best team in this division by the end of the year with the players that they have on the ice. For the for the starting the first line, which I think is attributing fifty percent of their points so far, if that gets if that can spread out a little bit to the rest of the team, they can definitely make the playoffs. So I'm just going to say, just because of Connor McDavid, that they are a contender. So that's okay. that's my conclusion. There you go. I think that's I think that's the one thing that's kind of keeping me away from it is. Is Connor McDavid finally going to be? Yeah, he's been the MVP. I get it. He's he's arguably the best player in hockey right now. Sidney Crosby might have something to say about that, but Connor McDavid, a fantastic hockey player, franchise player. He's he's literally the future of this league. Is this the year that he finally just wills them into the playoffs? And I think once he wills them into the playoffs, where a lot of people doubted them this year, and if they get in, I think that's where people start saying Edmonton's a perennial playoff contender year in and year out. But until we see that, and I know he, he got them to the playoffs once already, but until until they see him will this team to the playoffs, I think that's why people are still hesitant whether they're a contender or a pretender. All right, one more team. They're All a right, one more obviously. team. No, oh, man. Oh, forget it. Why are we even doing a report on these guys? Because these guys are just a wagon. The Colorado Avalanche, they're 7-0-1-1. Their only loss came last week to the the Pittsburgh Penguins, our hometown team. Um, Nathan McKinnon is looking awesome. Kale McCarr is looking awesome. The top line of Rantanen, McKinnon, and um, Landis Gog is looking Landis awesome. Gog. And, I mean... What what else? Grubauer, Grubauer, awesome, looking great. So there's not a whole lot more to say. They're a contender. They're going to be in the final. It's a matter of who they play. If they play Pittsburgh, they're not going to win. If they don't play Pittsburgh, they're going to win. So that's all I got to say about the Colorado Avalanche. Colorado's going to be eighty zero and two, and those two overtime losses are to the Penguins. On absolutely. B, on BS Brandon Tanev goals. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That goal is was the dumbest thing that I've ever seen in my life. And of all people to, for it to happen to, Gabriel Landeskog, too, after what he went through in the playoffs last year with that offsides play, and to have Brandon effing Tanev just throw a puck to the net and it, like, hits his skate, hops over his stick, and it goes across the line. I, like, I was like, that's not what I expected in overtime. Let alone shorthanded, which I forget what the exact year is, but Mario was the last one to score an overtime overtime, uh, clinching goal in the regular season, shorthanded, which is absurd, too. So, um, yeah, the the Avs are a wagon. They're going to win the Cup if they don't play the Penguins. If they play the Penguins, they're not going to get the Cup. So, um, that's all I got. What do you got? Um. Right, for them being a contender, nothing. You already you already stated everything that needed to be said. Perfect, perfect. So uh, 
All right, so we did Contender Pretender. We talked about some bad hockey teams. Uh, Penguins review, and then we're out of here? Yep. All right, let's uh, let's dive into the schedule of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, so last time we had talked, they had just beaten the Winnipeg Jets 7-2. to uh, They had a big week ahead of them, which we talked about. If they took two out of three of the stretch, we were okay with, right? Yes, and we, that is what we, happened. And it, it pretty much went the way we thought it was going to go. They were, we thought they would beat Colorado, not in the way that it went, but neither here nor there. You got two points. Um, got it in, over, in overtime. I want to talk about this Colorado game, though, because before we continue any further, um, you talked about, before we started recording, the two-on-one on McKinnon's goal. You said Chris Letang pretty much gave them that goal, correct? Here's what I mean by this. I think that Chris Letang made it that much easier for Nathan McKinnon being in the middle of not being able to play the shooter or try to block McKinnon on the pass. I think he found himself in the middle and hesitated a lot, and that just made it that much easier for McKinnon to receive the pass. I forgot who uh, sauced it over to him. I believe it was Rantanen. It was Rantanen. Okay, and... He just basically did his work from there because the I for, was it Dumoulin that turned it over initially after the faceoff. Yeah, so so I believe Dumoulin, I think he turned it over and then on his back check he ended up falling down, which is what created the two on one. And the the thing that I and I'm defending Chris Letang here because first of all you got two world class athletes on that two on one, which is scary as hell. Mm-hmm. And not, not taking anything away from Chris Letang by any means. But it, I thought he played it pretty well. And it looked like he kind of like lost his footing or whatever. And it kind of – because he, he started to play Ranton in one-on-one. And then he like lost his footing or whatever. And that gave like Ranton just enough time to get that – just enough time and space, get that puck over to McKinnon. And Nate McKinnon doing exactly what he does. He does his little – Couple stick handles, and then he just put it ball, uh, under the bar on uh, on Matt Murray, and it, I mean it was a beautiful finish. And like I said, you're facing two world class athletes like uh, like McKinnon and Ranson, and um, probably one of the dangerous two on one combos that you'll ever see. It's very hard for me to falter Chris Letang on that. Yeah, but that I'm not trying to say this was all Chris Letang's fault. Okay, I'm saying that he found himself in the middle and did not even give himself a chance to even protect that goal. Um, like the one thing that I would agree on was the analysis during the game saying that Rantanen is a left-handed shooter on that left side. Why would you even be trying to block him if you're Chris Letang trying to come down, block off, try to block that pass to Nathan McKinnon and let Rantanen try to shoot on Murray from that angle? Right. So I, it was just a, it was a perfect recipe for disaster, which was set up by the Dumoulin turnover. So if there right. really is any blame to throw around on that goal, it was Dumoulin, and I just thought Chris Letang could have defended it better. That, that's that's fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I get what you're saying, and I, you know, I think everybody just has their opinion on it, but. Um, I, it all stems back to Dumoulin, and you know he ended up falling down on the back check too. Um, but but now that you say that, the the angle that he had Ranton, it's probably better if he stays in the middle there, take that pass away. But 
Um, they ended up coming out with a win on a bizarre goal by Brandon Tanev that went off Gabriel Landeskog, <laughs> and uh, you know you get the win three two. Well, then the the aforementioned um, woeful Dallas Stars came into town. Penguins won four two. Um, business as usual. Got your two points. Well, then Saturdays. Go ahead. Oh, Did you have something? If there was a time for Latang to redeem himself, it was that goal in the third period, which I don't understand how the second person fell on trying to defend that shot, but he just looked so silky smooth and was a smooth criminal just taking down two defenders in front of him and sh- shooting five-hole on... Uh, that wasn't Bishop playing Friday, was it? No, it was Anton Hudobin, their backup. Yeah, so it just... Chris Letang, if there was a time to redeem himself, it was that goal. Yeah, so so what you were saying with the with the defenders going down, I think they kind of went into like panic mode because I believe the Penguins were on the power play for that, correct? Yeah, I think so. So so that puck ends up coming out of the corner. Dominic Simone wins a battle, you know, possession, 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 and he gets it back to Latang, and Latang kind of kind of like cocks the gun like he's going to shoot. The first guy goes down to block the shot. He goes around him, and I think Sagan kind of went into like. Uh, like a panic mode almost, and he he went down to block the shot, and Latang just as just as well as what he did to the uh, first defender went around him, and then somehow found found a way to go five hole on that, which was uh, really impressive, and um, found the back of the net. But um, I think that was just desperation mode by the Stars trying to keep a shot, and ho- hopefully it was going to hit them that they'd get a block shot, but. Um, Latang with the great awareness and the and the skill to get around the two defenders, it was a pretty uh, pretty impressive goal. Yep. So uh, so then on the back end of a back to back, a re- weird uh, home back to back, nonetheless. It's not like they had to travel. Mark Andre Fleury and the Vegas Golden Knights came into town, and everybody was just rolling over Mark Andre Fleury again. How great of a guy he is, and. He ends up posting a 3 nothing shutout. The Penguins didn't have Brian Dumoulin or Jared McCann, I believe, were both late scratches in the game. Um, I have not seen an update on Brian Dumoulin. I know he didn't skate today, but... Um, He'll but be they, out for another game. He's up playing tomorrow is what I've seen. Yes, yeah, I, I thought I saw... Let me see if I can find it. That he was put on IR, but it's retroactive to uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, let me see here. I'll will find it, but um, but yeah. So Brian Dumoulin out. That's obviously another name added to the to the uh, the medical list for the Penguins. Um, what did you think of the Vegas game? I I unfortunately did not get a chance to watch must watch must most of this game. Can't talk, Jeff. Good job. Uh, I actually had a wedding. So uh, Dave, did you? Ha- what did you think of this one? I had a wedding too. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, no, so we're, nobody, we're co- nobody covered the game. So no. that's awesome. Mark Andre Fleury um, is the greatest guy you'll ever meet. And aside from the Avalanche, this is the only time I'm okay with the Penguins losing. No, I'm not okay. I the, the thing I can't stand about the Flurry thing is that yes, he's a great guy. I think everybody can admit that, whether you're a Penguin fan, whether you're not. At the end of the day, he doesn't play for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You. Like I, I don't get this love affair that you can root for Mark Andre Fleury to beat the Penguins. I, I just can't get past that. I'm not rooting for the Golden Knights to beat the Penguins, but I'm not gonna 
be up all night thinking about that loss. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a loss in October. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter so. that the Avalanche lost their undefeated season to the Pens, right? Right. They were well, going to two and zero. Yeah, absolutely. They were going to until you know, Gabriel Landeskog ruined it. But, um, but yeah. So I mean, it was a good week for the Penguins. They, they did exactly what we uh, what we thought they would do: uh, take two out of three, lose to Vegas. Um, Vegas being one of the top teams in the in the league right now. So um, that's kind of your Penguin preview. By the way, Doomlin's uh, on on a long term IR till it's retroactive to October eighteenth. So, or injured reserve, I'm sorry. Uh, Zach Trotman was put on long-term IR. Brian Dumoulin was on injured reserve. That is retroactive to October 18th. That is from Seth Rorabaugh of The Athletic. So, that's your Penguin preview. The Penguin, or, or the pe- weekend review. Yeah. Review, sorry. Uh, currently, the Penguins are sitting at 9-6-3 uh, in their first nine games. 12 points, two points behind the Washington Capitals. Home record of four and three, away record of two and zero. Oh. Um, next on the slate for them is their Florida trip. They head down to the Sunshine State. Uh, let me pull up their schedule here. It is a away game tomorrow, or should I say today, at seven p.m. against the Florida Panthers. Then the next, the next game, I think it's on uh, Wednesday night hockey, NBC. Uh, Penguins in Tampa Bay against the Lightning. And then Saturday, they go into Dallas to take on the Stars for the second time in a week and one day at 8 o'clock on the Saturday game. So, um, once again, another two out of three, taking it week by week. You get four points again this this week. It'll be a win in my book. Yep, and I think we can agree, too. I think you take take wins against uh, Florida and Dallas. Obviously, doing the back-to-back with Tampa, that's going to be a tough one. Um, let me take a quick look because I know we do have some listeners that get intrigued, like if teams are waiting for the Penguins um, on their back-to-backs or whatever. So let me just take a look here. Uh, it looks like they are going to they, – they're off until they play the Penguins. So they'll be sitting well-rested, re- ready for the Penguins. So um, that should be a tough challenge for the Penguins going into Tampa on the back end of a back-to-back. Yep. Oh, yeah. So. Sorry. Four points is, that, is all I ask, Pittsburgh. Four points. Yeah, four points. Four points. You get four points a week, you're in good shape. Yep, exactly. So, MVP, we done? Uh, yeah, we'll yeah we'll do MVP. Are you going first or you want me to go first? Because it's been a while since we did this. Well, I mean, if you got one, you can go for it. I do have one. It's not sports-related. It's actually personal-related. Uh, today is my sister Ashley's birthday. She is, let's see, she's five years older than me. So, she's 33 today. Um she moved out to Seattle earlier this year. It's the furthest we've been apart. We're not the closest in terms of siblings, but um, I sent her a text today, you know, happy birthday. I hope the West Coast is treating you well. She's trying to get me to come out there uh, sooner rather than later. So um, happy birthday to my sister, Ashley Christ. You are the best and you deserve everything you have right now. Um, see you soon, sis. Let me... Uh... Wipe the tear from my eye. It's the most sincere I've ever heard this man be. After talking about the Yankee bullpen, did you think that I was ever going to get to that level? No. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't know what you love more, your your sister or defending the Yankees bullpen. <laughs> oh, more Aaron Boone, but 
So, um, I think I'll I'll go with I'll go with Brandon Tanov because he's the <laughs> oh unsung God. hero. Uh, you know, a shorthanded goal and not really the way he did it, but the hustle that he put into there and just the the shot in the dark that he did just to put it on net and probably didn't even expect it to even have a shot to go in and just got the lucky bounce. Um, this was the offseason signing that I think uh, Pittsburgh was trying to find with someone that can just hustle up and down the ice and keep them kind of fresh and look to just make plays here and there. Maybe not like that all the time, obviously, but uh, a person that they can get depth scoring from and what a what a time to get that overtime goal for the, for the Pens this season, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. First goal is a Penguin, too. So, and uh, to, to break the hearts of all Colorado Avalanche fans and pseudo ours as well, um, 80 0 2 for the Avalanche because Brandon Tanev will do it again next time they play. <laughs> so, all right, sounds good. So, uh, are we are we done? Yeah, you know, follow, cool. like us on the Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Day Facebook page. Follow us on the Icy Takes Twitter, ICEY Takes, all together one word. Follow the personal Twitters at Big underscore Day 52. At JChrist underscore 51. Like our Lord and Savior. Amen. There's donation links at anchor.fm. You can click on them. We appreciate anything that is ever thrown our way because, you know, we would like to get paid for this at some point. But until then, we just put on the show for you guys because uh, either you support what we do and that's what we really love about it. So um, until then, he's Jeff. I am Big Dave. Hopefully... We'll be better next week. And until then, stay icy. Yep, yep.